Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we once again are grateful that in your great mercy you are a God who, who speaks, that you are a God who reveals yourself, that you have done this in your word, you have done this in the person of Jesus. You send your spirit uh, to renew hearts and minds that the things that you have revealed would be taken into us and illuminated and that our minds would be transformed and our lives would be transformed. And so we pray this morning that as uh, we seek to give our attention to your word, that you would attend unto us by your spirit, that you would do these things and more than we would even know to ask of you. And we pray this in and through Christ. Amen. Um, so, when we lived in Delaware, we lived in Delaware before we came here, uh, we had a really great primary care doctor for our kids, Dr. Walker. Uh, he was kind of the perfect doctor, especially for new parents. If there was something that you should be doing with your baby or your child and you weren't doing it, Dr. Walker had this super relaxed way of, yeah, you should probably, like, and it didn't make you feel stressed out, like, oh my gosh, I am ruining my child. I have not done this thing. Like when the doctor mentioned with our first child, Liam, you know, how's tummy time going? Tummy time? What's tummy time? Are we doing tummy time? And, uh, you know, uh, Liam and Abby, not as much, but, you know, had a larger head when he was born. And so those neck muscles, it was very important to get those strong. And so tummy time was important. Thankfully, Dr. Walker's bedside manner was pretty relaxed, and so we didn't freak out that we weren't doing it as often as we should. 
course, then we had Abby, and then there's more stuff that you have to think about, additional things to watch out for, healthy habits that you want to bring into the child's life. You know, are they eating healthy things? No. Uh, you're constantly trying to do that. And as a parent, it can be kind of stressful, obviously, because you want your child to grow, and you want them to be healthy, and you want them to flourish. And while probably none of us have the same level of anxiety when we are at the doctor for ourselves. Whenever we go to the doctor as adults, uh, doctors remind us of things that are good for us. Everything from right, the things that we eat, the things that we're putting in our body, how much, how frequently we're drinking, whether or not we're exercising, how we're doing in terms of mental health and relationships and connecting. There are things that if we will do them they are just good for us. If we will do them, they lead to a life of flourishing. This is how Psalm 92 begins. It begins with one word in Hebrew, the word tov, meaning good. This is good. What I'm about to tell you is good. What I'm about to call you to is good. It's really good. It's not just good in the sense that it's right, though it is. It is good for you. What is good? Verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 92 uh, is the only psalm that in the superscript mentions the Sabbath as that tiny italicized text in your English Bible. It reads for Psalm 92, a song for the Sabbath. If you can remember a few um, weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, we were looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and we saw that the whole goal of creation and so the goal of our lives was unto that seventh day, the day when God rested. God rests on the seventh day celebrating his enthronement as the king who has created and so to say that the goal of our lives and the goal of creation is rest is to say it's about worship. The goal is to celebrate God and savor God and enjoy God as king. And this psalm, the song of the Sabbath, is meant to help us to see how good it is for us to savor God. It's meant to help us to see why it is so essential for us to learn a way of life that isn't just constantly distracted and busy and stressed where we move from one thing to the next and we're anxious and we're tired and we're worn out, but why we have to slow down and we have to savor and enjoy God. This psalm shows us that as we savor God, God strengthens us, he refreshes us, he transforms us. This is the last uh, sermon in the series for this fall, Habits for Love, where we have really been trying to consider the need that we have not just to believe and think right ideas about God in our head, but to practice in our lives and to make space in our lives to practice habits for love, habits that will shape us in the direction of love. And this fall, we've considered this theme of rest. How do we practice this thing that we were made for? And so this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 92. If you have the text out in front of you, that would be uh, really helpful because we're just going to work through the text. 
And I want us to consider four questions as we're looking at Psalm 92. How we savor, why we savor, what if we don't, and how savoring changes us. How we savor, why we savor, what if we don't, and how savoring changes us. So first, how we savor. We've already said uh, this psalm is about savoring God, but how do you do that, right? Like, how, how do you take pleasure and enjoy God, a being that is incomprehensible? This was alluded to earlier. The only possibility of savoring God is if God reveals himself. We can't possibly reach up to God, but God can reach down to us. And that's what you see in the opening verses. Verse 1 points us to God's character. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Whenever you see, right, Lord, all in capital letters, that's Hebrew for Yahweh, God's personal name. In the ancient world, your name had to do with your character, who you are. And so when the Israelites thought of the name of Yahweh, this is the God who bound himself in covenant to us. This is the God who has made promises. This is the God who delivered us at at the Red Sea. He delivered us from slavery in Egypt. This is the God who has freely chosen to make himself known. He's revealed himself in history, in creation, and throughout history in acts of salvation. This is the God who has revealed himself in the scriptures, interpreting what he has done so that we can understand who he is. If you look at verses 4 and 5, three times the writer mentions God's work. For you, Yahweh, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, Yahweh! When the Psalms celebrate God's work, there's usually two categories that we can think of. There's the work of creation and then the work of redemption or salvation. You see, what what the Psalm is inviting us to do is consider this. Consider creation and what God has made. Consider the gift of life. Consider the beauty of mountains and a summer sunset. Take in the pleasure of of fall colors and a warm fire. Savor the gift of a body that can be hugged, that can take in food and drink and feel satisfied. Savor God's work. Consider also what God has done in in redemption, in acts of salvation throughout history. Verse 2 invites us to recount, to declare to tell the story and to retell the story. Verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Retell the story of God's steadfast love. That's that Hebrew word, if you know any Hebrew from pastors mentioned, that's that Hebrew word, hesed, a rich word that speaks of the kind of love that God shows. It's, It's a love that is unflinching toward his people. It's a love that's stubborn and it won't let go. It's a committed and faithful love. Verse 2 calls us to tell the story of his love and his faithfulness, to do this morning and night, which is a poetic way of saying all the time. 
And this, this is what we do, right, on Sunday morning. This is one of the reasons why we have to gather together. We, we sing verses 1 and 3 of this psalm. We confess our faith, recounting, declaring who God is and what God has done. We look at the Bible and we, and we unpack a particular text looking at something about God that is great, that He has revealed so that we can savor Him. This past semester, if you've been with us, you know, this fall, we've been in the book of Judges, and if you've been with us, Judges is dark, right? I mean, it's pretty messed up. And of course, there's lots of things in our world that are messed up. But as you read Judges and you think about it, there can be this hope because God was at work then and there saving his people, showing mercy and grace. This is how we savor, we, we give thanks, we praise, we recount the story of who God is and what he has done. But second, why? Why do we savor? We savor because it is good. I mean, it is right, right? God has done these things. God has made beautiful and good things, and it is right for us to respond to that with thanks. It is appropriate for us to acknowledge the one who made us and who gives us good gifts. But it is also good for us because God made us to know him and love him. And all of these things in creation and all of God's saving acts are meant to draw us near to God, that we might be restored to him, that we might enjoy him, that we might love him and rejoice in him and hope in him. If your family is like my family, you like to tell stories and you like to retell stories. You remember and you retell stories about each other, like the hilarious thing that mom did 10 Christmases ago. And though, even though everybody knows the story, you tell the story again, and you laugh about it all over again. Our kids never get tired of hearing about when they were really little guys. And we have so many stories about them. And they love looking at pictures and they love watching videos of when they were young. They love remembering the story. And the stories that we tell, they shape us. I want you to imagine a husband and a wife who have become so busy with just life and the things of life that for a period of weeks or perhaps even months, they kind of exist relationally at the level of let's just get stuff done. You know, there's not a lot of warmth. There's not a lot of tenderness. The marriage has become more or less about a division of labor to survive. And then one night at dinner, one of the kids asks, Mom, tell us about when you guys first met. And then the brother or sister says, yeah, yeah, tell us the story. Immediately you know something good is going to happen. Because as mom and dad start to tell the story, as they recount the details about what each of them was thinking and how mom thought dad was really cute and dad was, you know, like kind of nervous and he didn't want to, he wanted to ask mom out, but he was scared and he finally did ask mom out. And, and then the kids are like, tell us the story of the first date. What was the first date like? And if I was telling the story, I won't go into all the details, but uh, Aaron and I went to, you know, the best Italian restaurant on the face of the earth, Olive Garden. And then we, <laughs> yes, and then we went to Ikea and we played house. Super weird, I know. Um, all of a sudden, as you tell the story, 
there's warmth. It feels more alive. That's right. We don't just get stuff done together. We have a history. We have a story. And it is very similar with God. We are to savor God and this story because it is true. But we are to savor it because it is also so good for us because we need it. You and I need weekly and then, and then, you know, in, in community groups and discipleship groups and, and, and in the mornings or the evenings throughout our day, we, we need to recount and retell the story of our God, our God who made all things. So as we're in the world, we're experiencing the good things of our world as what they really are, which are gifts from Yahweh. And then we need to hear the story about how humanity turned from God. We turned from Him, and we've sinned, and each of us know ways in which we do that. But God pursued us. He pursued us right from the beginning, Genesis 3, promising a Savior. He pursued us by calling Abraham to Himself that He might bless the nations. He pursued us with His faithful love by making promises and keeping those promises. Again and again, when we weren't faithful, He was faithful. In the midst of idolatry and sin and rebellion and evil, God was faithful. And in love, He sent His Son to take flesh, to do everything that a human being was meant to be and do, to fully love God and to fully love others. And because He loves us, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, pursued us with His faithful love even to the cross. He died in our place. He took your sins and my sins. And He did this so that through Him we can be restored children of God. You don't have to wonder whether or not God loves you or whether or not your sins will win out in the end or whether or not you will be with God forever because Jesus has died and He's risen again and He's ascended and He's interceding for you. You see, as we recount God's steadfast love and His faithfulness, so many things happen. We are overwhelmed by His goodness and wisdom. Look at verse 5. How great are your works, Yahweh! Your thoughts are very deep. We're given a new perspective. We read in verse 9 and following. For behold, your enemies, Yahweh, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. You see, we, we can look at the world and we can look at so much evil and sadness in the world and we can just feel tired, right? And sapped of energy and just sad. And there can be a despair when we look at things in the world, but then there can also be a despair as we look at ourselves with all the repeated struggles, the, the hard ingrained, well-worn patterns of behavior and thinking and relating and choosing, are you to think, am I to think that we can ever change? Is this world going to change? Are we going to change? But then we remember the story. We remember who God is and what God has done. And we take it in and we savor that reality the God of creation who reigns supreme, the God of redemption whose unflinching love and faithfulness is for me and for you. It brings strength 
It's the image in verse 10 of a horn. It brings refreshment. It's the image of oil. It brings hope. Because as you recount and you tell the story of God's faithful love and his works, there's just no way he's not going to come through, right? And so slowing and savoring gives way to this confident hope. From this vantage point, verse 11, you can say, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. Evil, suffering, sadness, violence, it can't win. This is how we savor. This is why we savor. But what if we don't? What if we don't savor God? Verse 6, 7, and 8. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, Yahweh, are on high forever. Now, I, I, re- I realize this language, uh, stupid man, fool, wicked, evildoer, it, it is strong language. It sounds extreme. But the Bible often, often does this. It, it uses categories like this to set out this very clear either or. And I think one of the reasons that it does this is it's meant to wake us up, to have us ask the question, in this either Or, where am I, and what is the trajectory of my life? We, if we don't savor God and the story, you won't have the perspective you need to live. You're living out of accord with reality. You are living in a way that doesn't account for doesn't factor in the most basic fundamental part of the world and the story in which you live. You, you have a blindness to God. And the danger isn't just, you know, for those who, who don't believe. Psalm 73, the writer goes through this period of deep doubt and struggle as he looks at people in the world who don't love God and don't care what God says and their lives are awesome. And the writer of Psalm 73 says about himself, I became like a beast toward you. I became stupid. And it's not a problem of someone's intellect. It's it's how that intellect, that faculty is being used. It's whether or not what God has revealed about himself is received and it's taken in and it's enjoyed and it's allowed to shape how you see life. If we're not awake to the reality of who God is and what we're done, what what he's done, if we're not taking that in, we won't be able to make sense of life. Look at verse 7. Because the wicked flourish too, and evildoers flourish. Now, their flourishing is is a kind that is impressive at first. I I mean, it shoots up, but it doesn't last. It's like grass. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And this is one of the dangers that we have highlighted again and again throughout this series about the speed of modern life and the cultural value of being busy all the time. Can you see the danger in these verses? What if busyness keeps you from being able to recount and savor who God is 
and what he has done. What if so many incredible good things in your life, gifts from God who is revealing his love and his faithfulness and his goodness to you are just completely missed or taken for granted and they're not enjoyed, they're not received as what they really are, gifts from Yahweh. What if you don't slow down and savor and you just keep moving faster and faster and faster and and because of that, God's faithful love becomes less real to you. Maybe you believe in God intellectually, maybe you don't, but either way, God is not relevant to life. He's not real to you. And then what if, what if in that space, you know, challenges come to your faith? Like maybe there's some costly parts of following Jesus, and then you look around, and you just see a lot of people who don't love God and they don't really care and God doesn't seem really relevant and they're just thriving. They're just, their life is awesome. Do, do you see where that can take you? What's the current direction of your life? God doesn't want us to be dull and blind toward Him. He wants flourishing for us, real flourishing. And that's how this psalm ends. It ends by showing us how savoring God changes us. Verse 12, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. As one writer put it, this image of these trees combine fruitfulness and size. So the, the date palm is, is a source of sweetness, while the cedar is a, is a major source of timber and used in construction. It's known for its, its height and its stature. Verse 13, they are planted in the house of Yahweh. They flourish in the courts of our God. Just like those described in Psalm 1 who, who meditate and delight in God's instruction day and night, those who are planted by streams of water that keep them fruitful. The same verb in Hebrew, those who savor God are planted in the house of Yahweh. They are in his presence. They are near God. They are dwelling with God, and so they flourish. Verse 14, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. There's a growth here pictured, a growth that doesn't fade away like grass. It's, it's a long and it's an enduring growth. It's a rootedness and, and a maturity and ongoing wisdom and fruitfulness. Verse 15, to declare that Yahweh is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And this last verse really brings it together because if you look at the beginning of the psalm, in Psalm 92, verse 2, the writer calls us to declare Yahweh's steadfast love and faithfulness. And then in verse 15, the psalm ends with the righteous, pictured as this tree, this this beautiful, full-of-life tree, declaring that Yahweh is upright. What was savored and enjoyed in the beginning of the psalm has become embodied in a life. Declaring and retelling Yahweh's faithful love leads to becoming a person who embodies these qualities. You begin by 
recounting and singing and telling the story and taking it in and being amazed by it and enjoying it and savoring God who is so great and so kind and so loving and so merciful. And over time, your life begins to be different. You become a person whose life declares the goodness of God, a life that points and testifies for others to see that God is real and true. Thinking about this text, I'm reminded a few weeks ago, there was a little gathering of people to send off um, Skip and Debbie Heidler. If you've only been around Trinity the last few years, uh, you you might not know the Heidlers uh, very well as the last few years they've been in the process of moving up north. But for those who have been around Trinity for some time, you know that they are people who have been incredibly important to the life of this congregation, and they've been incredibly important in the lives of many of you here. And as we prayed for them, I was struck by the specific and concrete details that so many prayed, giving thanks to God for Skip and Debbie. And the things that they prayed for and they gave thanks for were things where they had embodied an aspect of who God is, of who Jesus is. Details of loving and caring for kids. Details of faithfulness. Remembrances of self-giving love, of wisdom and practical help, of being present and active in people's lives. Here were people who had given themselves to recounting and telling the story and savoring the story and taking in the story, and it had wound up embodying itself in their life. That's the promise of this text. This is what is so good if we will do it. If you slow down and you savor God, over time you will become, you will change you will more and more be an embodiment of all the ways that you are meant to be like God and reflect Him. And this is why, as we close, I want to continue to invite all of you to keep going with us on this shared project of Habits for Love. As I said, this is the last sermon, but there will continue to be teaching and discussion in adult Sunday school, today being one of those days, and there's going to be emails that will continue to go out that will help us as we seek this way of life where we create space to savor God, to rest in Him, so that we can be more and more like Him. Let me invite us now to turn to this God in prayer. Every week after we hear his word, it is an opportunity for us to turn to him, to confess our sins, to ask for his help. And so let's do that now. We'll spend some time in in private prayer, and then uh, I will lead us in prayer in a few moments' time.